If you are joining us for the first time or the first time in a while, the uh, past couple weeks we've been in a short series in the book of Acts talking about those yet to come. And we're having a conversation that I think is really important for our church as we move into this new season that we're in. We've wrapped up construction. This week we had our final inspection. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a big step. So I just want to say thank you to all the amazing, uh, our contractors and volunteers, and to all of you that have given so much over the last couple of years to allow us to purchase this property and now to finish, um, be pretty close to finishing building it out. We got a lot of little minor details we're still working on finishing up, but we'll get there eventually, right? Except for those two or three things that you never finish. You know how that is if you've ever built or remodeled a house. There's those couple things. So you can remind us. You can help us finish those if you want to when you see them. But we're uh, moving into kind of a new phase. And many churches have the tendency to go from a startup kind of mentality where they're really focused on those outside the church, they're really focused on those they're called to reach in the community, to becoming kind of comfortable, kind of complacent, and moving towards more of an insider focus, and becoming much more concerned about who they're keeping than actually who they're reaching in the community. And I don't want to see our church go there. And so I thought it would be really important to take a few weeks to pause and have a conversation about that. Now, I don't know what comes to mind for you when you hear the word church. Uh, maybe it's a building. Maybe it's a location. If you grew up you know, liturgical, maybe it's a liturgy. Maybe it's kneeling down, standing, sitting. Um, if you grew up you know, in a church like this, maybe it's a band and you know, all this stuff. But almost certainly what you have in mind when you hear the word church is different than what first century people would have thought when they heard the word church. Because the church didn't start out as an institution. It didn't start out as a building. It started out as a movement. In fact, the Greek word ekklesia means literally a movement or an assembly or a gathering. It started out as a movement to take the message of Jesus, the good news or the gospel, to people at the ends of the earth. See, the church began as a movement that was launched by an event, and that was Jesus' resurrection, his death and resurrection. And then it was fueled by eyewitnesses who went out and gave testimony of that very event, which they saw, they witnessed. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, they carried that message boldly and fearlessly all out into the culture and to the ends of the earth. Within the first couple weeks of Jesus after uh, the church launched originally on the day of Pentecost, over 5,000 people, just men, 5,000, thousands upon thousands of people had joined it. And so it got big really quick. It was exploding in the city of Jerusalem. And this movement was seen as a threat to the power structure of the Jewish religious authorities who had also crucified Jesus a short time before this. And so they began to persecute this new movement. They began to oppose this new movement. And so what we saw, if uh, you were here with us last week, what we saw was the first time Peter and John get thrown in jail overnight. They haul them in. They question them. You know, why are you doing this? Peter preaches a bold message to him, basically saying, you crucified Jesus. This is his message. This is pretty much the message. The first, at the very start of the early church was, Jesus is the Messiah. You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. Now, repent, say you're sorry, ask him to forgive you. 
And so that Peter delivers this message to the very guys who had crucified Jesus. And in response to that, they threaten them, they warn them. They say, you remember what we did to that Jesus. Don't think we wouldn't do that to you. Stop talking about this whole resurrection business. And Peter and John run back to the others who are terrified um, because, I mean, these, these guys just killed Jesus a short time before this. And they come back and they're so relieved. And then the church gathers, this community gathers, and we have what Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, and he's a, a scholar, a physician, and he says he carefully investigated and gave us an account of what happened first in Jesus Live in the book of Luke, which we preached 52 weeks through, just finished it up at the end of the summer, and then in the book of Acts, which is the account of the early church. And, and Luke records for us the essence of the very first prayer that the early church prays in response to these threats, in response to this resistance that they are experiencing, this opposition that they are experiencing. And what we saw last week is they didn't actually pray probably the things we would have prayed. They didn't pray for safety. They didn't pray, you know, um, that they just have all this protection. They didn't pray, oh God, just help them stop picking on us. They didn't pray for all those things, right? Let's see if you were paying attention last week. Instead of praying for all of that, in the very first prayer we have recorded in response to these threats, what do you think they prayed for? Boldness. Boldness. In fact, last week we sent you home uh, with this scripture. And here's their prayer. This was the end of this prayer. It says, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And what we talked about last week is how different that is from so many of our prayers. You know, we pray for all these things in our life. You know, we want that raise and we want, you know, Aunt Susie to get better and we want our kids to get into a good school and, you know, people to quit picking on us so much and all those kind of things, right? And safety. Oh, man, we pray for safety, don't we? Oh, Lord, we're traveling. Please let us be safe, you know, on this trip. Um, which, you know, we live in Colorado, so we got to drive over the mountains, right? You can understand that. Although, let me tell you, I've been to some countries <clears throat> where we had literally in one little, like, truck, we had 17 people piled in the back of it in Africa. And so it's like, yeah, we have pretty safe transportation here. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, and so we looked at all the things that we typically pray about, and I bet boldness to share about Jesus probably hasn't been a real high priority on your prayer list. For many Christians, if, if every one of your prayers over the last year or so got answered, there's a good chance that nobody other than you, your immediate family, maybe a, a friend or two, would even be impacted at all. And what we challenge you with is that's not good enough. That the prayers like that would not have launched and propelled the name of Jesus out of the first century in the midst of incredible opposition. The reason you're sitting here trusting and worshiping Jesus 2,000 years later is because of the incredible boldness and the incredible commitment to this mission of these members, the first leaders of the early church. And so what we challenged you with last week is just to take this and add it to your prayers. Don't stop praying for all that other stuff, right? It's good to keep praying for that stuff. But start praying for boldness. Start praying as well. When you pray with your kids, you know, tuck them in, give them sweet dreams, all that. Pray that God will give you opportunities and boldness to speak about Jesus and to share Jesus. 
to share his love. And then pray that God would show up and move in powerful ways through you and through your life. That he would, as you share Jesus and love those around you, that, that he would move in such a way that people in your life would know, wow, that's God. That's God. And so we challenged you to take that home. And I hope you've been doing that this week. Now, as we get to what we're talking about today, I just want to continue this thought and just ask, don't you think it's kind of strange we live in one of the safest, freest countries in the world? One of the safest areas of one of the safest, freest countries in the world, and still so many of our prayers center around safety. It's interesting, isn't it? We live in a culture where actually if you were to be bold about your faith, it would cost you almost nothing. There's areas in the world where that isn't true, right? But, but here, if you were to be bold about your faith and talk to those in your life about your faith, you know, not in an obnoxious way. We all know there's obnoxious ways to be bold, right? But just in a, man, Jesus did this in my life kind of way. And man, I have the greatest message in the, in the history of the world. I just got to share that. And I love you so much that I want you to know about the greatest thing in my life, that kind of way. And if you did that in your life, it would cost you almost nothing, Right? But isn't it weird how, how almost nothing, how that almost nothing feels like everything so often? How we're not more bold? And you know, if we're honest, most of the time when we, when we have this pushback in our hearts about being bold with our faith, it's things like, um, like, they won't like me, right? They might not like me. I'll be looked down on. People will think I'm weird or strange. Maybe I'll lose some status. Maybe I'll lose some, you know, like, some esteem in this community I'm part of. Maybe even some opportunities or, or young people in school, right? Maybe, I, maybe I'll lose some popularity. They'll think I'm the strange kid if I'm actually a little bit bold about my faith. Maybe I'll lose some success. Maybe I won't get a promotion. Maybe I'll miss out on a good business deal or something. That's the kind of thing, if we're honest, that's the kind of stuff that we're worried about, right? Nobody's really worried about getting, you know, thrown to the lions like in the first century, you know, lit up as a human torch, that kind of thing. Now, I know there's parts of the world where people are really persecuted, but for us, most of the time, that's our big fears. That's the thing that keeps us from being bold. But it hasn't always been that way. You know, there was a time when the church was fueled by an incredible conviction, and it overcame any fear that they had about any of those things. And that conviction was that everyone will spend eternity somewhere, either in the presence of God or not in the presence of God. And you know, if the early church had been as safety conscious and scared for just frank as we are today, I don't think the message of Jesus would have ever made it out of the first century. And so today, here's what I want to do as we continue this conversation. I want to pick up where we left off in the book of Acts. And I want to talk about some small, concrete steps that if you choose to take these steps, it would be an absolute game changer when it comes to your engagement in your relationship with Jesus. I think if you took these steps, you know, for, for many of you, you've, you've just followed Jesus along. It's kind of ho-hum, if we're honest. You've lost some of the passion. You had it maybe at one point. But if you would take some of these concrete steps, it would reignite something in your heart when it came to the priority, when it came to the passion you experience in your faith. And it will play a huge role in our church staying on target to stay outward focused instead of 
drifting inward in our focus. And to get us there, we're going to pick up the story where we left off last week. And just to remind you, here's what happened. After they prayed this incredible prayer we just read for boldness, God answered. He loves to answer this prayer. If you pray this prayer, this will be a prayer that I, I believe you'll see God answer in quickly. He answered, and they went out and, sp- and spoke boldly in spite of the threats. They spoke boldly about what they had seen, witnessed, the resurrected Jesus, and the message just kept spreading like wildfire. And as a result of this, there was an incredible outbreak, spontaneous outbreak of generosity in the early church. They took care of each other, and, and there was something so remarkably different about these people and the way they loved each other that even those outside of the church who maybe didn't want to be part of them, they thought highly of them. Check this out. In Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, a portion of the temple. No one else dared join them. They were scared. They thought, these Christians are weird. We don't know about all this Jesus stuff. Though, listen, even though they were highly regarded by the people, there was something about the way they lived that was just magnetic. And see, this is the way it should be. And if you're maybe you know, new to church or you've had a bad experience with church, you've been turned off by church, chances are it's because there were some Christians who were not living the way that Jesus called them to live, which is why you were hurt, which is why you were excluded which is why you probably got turned off at some point. Maybe you're just coming back after years or after decades of sort of being disconnected, right? But the truth is, if if we are living the way Jesus calls, if if we're living empowered by the Holy Spirit, just filled by the Holy Spirit like the way these guys were, man, there would be something magnetic about our lives. There should be something where outsiders may say, hey, I don't know what what those followers of Jesus, those Christians believe. I don't know, that might be weird. You know, I don't know if I, I buy all that. But man, the way they live is amazing. The way they love each other is amazing. The way they take care of, of, of people is amazing. The, I, you know, I don't know if I want to be one, but man, I hope my, son, my daughter marries one because those guys, they treat their families better than anybody. I, if I could, I'd want to hire all Christians in my business. I think they're weird, but man, they're the most honest, hardworking, loyal people. See? That's the way. If we live our faith out, it should be that magnetic in our culture. And that's exactly what's happening here. In verse 14, it says this, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. In other words, people just kept responding and accepting Jesus and and embracing this message. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed. This is incredible. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. And all of them, all of them were healed. I've heard, you know, amazing testimonies of God moving today and healing people. All of them were healed. What a remarkable time that would have been. What a remarkable time to witness this. Verse 17, then the high priest... And all his associates, these are the the power structure, both religious but political power structure um, that was allowed to still operate and govern on most matters under the authority of Rome. The high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. 
Remember, jealousy was a primary cause of them arresting and crucifying Jesus as well. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. Luke gives us lots of cool details, historical details. So they put them, threw them in public jail. And, and, and this is what happens at night. Check this out. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. And he said, run away. Go quick, hide. And pray for protection this time, not boldness. Oh, shoot, I put the verse up there. No, that's not what he said, actually. Check out what he said. He said, go, stand in the temple courts. Um, you mean where we just got arrested? Uh-huh. He said, and tell the, the people all about this new life. See, it's a whole new life in Jesus. Forgiveness, peace with God, the filling of the Holy Spirit, empowering them to live actually the way that God desired them to live as was evident through this incredible generosity, as was evident through the passion they had for Jesus. It was amazing, right? And so the angel doesn't tell them to go run away. He tells them, hey, I want you to go right back where they arrested you and talk to them about Jesus, about what you've seen, about what you've experienced, this new life in him. Verse 21, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to, to the jail for the apostles. Hey, go bring those guys in now. Now, we don't know if they had all of them, although from the text, it looks like they had the main 12. So last time, they threatened the first two, and it didn't work. And so this time, they haul back in the other apostles, including Peter and John. But on arriving at the jail, there's so much humor in the Bible. I think Luke's just grinning at this point as he writes this. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, picture being the guards in this situation. You're standing there, you know, proudly. We stayed awake all night, uh, but apparently they missed this whole thing. They must have fallen asleep. The angel showed up and, you know, they went into sort of a daze or something like happened uh, um, at the resurrection when the angels rolled the stone away, right? Um, so something like that must have happened. But they're standing up there thinking these guys are all in the jail and the doors open. Nobody's there. Verse 24, on hearing the report, the temple or the captain of the temple garden, the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Like, what in the world? Verse 25, then someone came back and said, look, they point across the way. Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. What? We just arrested them for that yesterday. Who are these guys? At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them because they had the crowds around. I mean, they were, they were scared, right? And so they show up, and I don't know how the whole thing goes, but probably, you know, uh, guys, uh, Peter, John, um, buddies, your buddies, can you, we don't want to take you by force, because, you know, we're, we're kind of scared, but would you guys mind coming with us? We've been sent to arrest you again. I think they're probably a little sheepish at this point, but they go along with them. 27, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Now listen to what he says. 
we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Doesn't even want to say the name of Jesus. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. At which I think Peter is just like, duh. (laughs) You were the very guys that, you know, launched the whole chant, crucify him and hired false witnesses and brought him before Pilate. Yeah, you guys are guilty. And so Peter, in typical Peter fashion, um, gives him the same sermon he's been given all along. I mean, every time he has a chance to give his sermon, here's what he said. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. They're not backing down on that. Whom you killed. What a, how bold. The very religious leaders, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand and they would know what this means. They would understand the messianic references back to Daniel, the claims of Jesus being equal with God. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Talk about a bold little message. And here's their response in verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men, the apostles, be put outside for a little while. And this is so interesting what he says next. He says, then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Basically, the idea here he's saying, hey, hold on a second. You know, we killed Jesus and basically made him martyr. Now all these people are, you know, flocking towards him. You're about to do the same thing to these 12 guys. Now we're going to have 12 more martyrs on our hands. Consider this carefully. And then he goes into some good political spin. He says this. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, most likely by Rome, and all his followers dispersed, and it came to nothing. And he said, you know, we, we have this like tenuous power situation here. We're in a no-win situation. We can kill these guys. The people are going to turn against us. But remember, Rome is very powerful. And there's this guy, Thutis, and actually Acts is the only historical source we have on Thutis, but apparently he led an uprising, some sort of an uprising, and was squashed, and they killed him. And then he goes on. He says, after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. We actually have a lot more historical info outside of just the Bible on this guy. He was, a, he was where, actually, you've heard the term zealot. Has anybody heard the term? The term zealot came from this uprising. And also, he was squashed. His movement was squashed. 
And so kind of the underlying theme behind what Gamaliel is saying here is, hey, guys, um, Rome is really powerful. And we can move and, you know, we have this, like, tenuous situation. We can move to crush it, but it may just backfire on us. I mean, look at what's happening now with this old Jesus situation, right? But if these guys get out of hand, chances are Rome might come take care of the job for us. We'll come out looking pretty good. Verse 38, therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. But then he has a really good observation. For if their purpose is, or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. And it says his speech persuaded them. Now, here's the cool thing. Gamaliel didn't know he, in a sense, was a prophet. But he was right. He was right. And Rome tried to squash this movement for 300 years. But today, you know the name a third of the population of the world identifies with the name of Jesus. But the names of Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the world when Jesus was born, is now just a footnote in the story we read every year at Christmas, right? The Roman Empire, long gone. Gamaliel was right. And what happens after this is religious leaders continued to try to stop this movement. Persecution broke out, intense persecution. There was a guy named Stephen that was a new leader in the church, and he ended up becoming the first martyr in the, in the, the history of the early church, the first one. They stoned him um, to death with rocks. Clarify that. We're in Colorado. Uh, stoned him to death, right? But the Bible adds, uh, Luke adds a chilling detail for us in, in there. And there was this guy named Saul who it says he was breathing out murderous threats against the church. And he presided over the killing of this first martyr, Stephen. And after this, Saul systematically goes out and begins to, literally it says in the scriptures, destroy the church, hauling people in, putting them on trial, and the leaders are thinking, ha, this was of human origin, and we got this enforcer, and man, these guys are on the run now. This is going to account, come to nothing. But they were wrong, weren't they? They were wrong. Gamaliel was right. It, it, it couldn't be stopped because, as you know, this guy Saul, if you grew up in church, you know him by the name Paul, the Apostle Paul. He has a radical encounter with Jesus. A radical encounter where, where Jesus appears to him as he's on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians there. He's blinded for a period of time. He encounters Jesus and hears, hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then God speaks to this guy, this disciple named Ananias, and goes, hey, um, there's this guy in this house. His name, oh, his name's Saul. You may have heard of him. I want you to go and tell him about Jesus and, and pray for him that he could be healed. And Ananias is like, oh, 
I don't think so, God. I've heard about him. But he goes, he obeys. God tells him, this guy is going to be my chosen instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. This isn't on the screen, but here's, here's what we hear about Paul. It says that once he began to preach in the synagogues, that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? And yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving from the Old Testament scriptures, he was proving that Jesus is the Messiah. He was brilliant. And the Apostle Paul became the strongest advocate in the known civilized world, the Mediterranean Rim, for Jesus. He planted churches all around there over three missionary journeys. And what's incredible is that the conversion of, in writings of the Apostle Paul are some of them the best evidence we have for the early understanding of the resurrection in the early church. Within 20 years, we have writings. There's no time for mythology or legend to develop. During this time, we have early like Christian songs that he records in one of his letters, undisputed by scholars. And there's really no good explanation for it other than the fact that he, he met all these eyewitnesses and then he encountered Jesus because he was on the short track to fame and fortune and success and power. And he gave it all up to follow Jesus. It's absolutely incredible. One of the other things that Paul did one of the biggest contributions he made to the, to the Christian faith was clearly stating the heart and the message of the gospel. We see that really spelled out in a, in a really neat way in one of his letters. Scholars think his most epic letter, the, the letter of Romans. It's called the Romans Road, where he just, in a few different verses, spells out what the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the heart, what's at the heart of it. And here, here's what he says. What's at the heart of it is, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're taking notes, you want to write Romans 3.23 down. That every one of us needs, every one of us falls short of God's standard. But God gave us a way to be forgiven of our sins. He showed us incredible love. In Romans 5.8, he says, but God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 6, 23, Paul says this, the bad news about sin is the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he goes on to talk about how that is received. He says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's, there's not religious formulas or rituals or hoops you got to jump through. It's literally, if you, you repent of your sin, you accept what he's done for you. Romans 10, 13, he goes on to say, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it was this understanding, it was this message, the heart of the gospel, that the, that the early church was so committed to bringing to the nations. And it needs to be our heart to continue to carry this message that we've been entrusted with in our generation to every person that God has placed around us. So, Gamaliel was right. 
This thing was not of human origin. There's no good historical explanation for what we have experienced with the growth of the Jesus movement around the world other than the fact that he really rose from the dead. This really happened and this was something from God. Now, what do you think the apostles' response to these threats were? Acts chapter 5, we'll go back to the second half of verse 40. So they decide we're not going to kill him. Gamaliel's right. Let's just let it, let's just see where the, you know, see where the chips fall. Verse 40. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Most likely a brutal beating. If you've ever seen Passion of the Christ, this could have been what this beating was. Flesh ripped open on both sides. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. They thought, this ought to convince them. Apparently threats aren't good enough. These guys are pretty dense. After all, they're fishermen from Galilee, a lot of them. This ought to convince them. They flog them, order them not to speak and let them go. Now, what's their response? This is wild. It should be very convicting to us. The, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Wow. Can I be honest? I don't know that my reaction would be the same. Think of the things we complain about as Christians so often. Kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Verse 42 wraps up this passage. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, they just kept doing it. They nursed their wounds. Maybe... Uh, Ouch, ouch, ouch. Let's get back to the temple. I mean, this is so hard for us to comprehend, isn't it? In our safety conscious, um, protection oriented kind of culture, it's so hard for us to even comprehend people who would do this. It's a little embarrassing when you think about the things we pray for, the things we're worried about so often, right? The things that get us all spinned out as Christians, the petty arguments we have, the lack of boldness, the fear we experience when it comes to just even speaking up and sharing anything about Jesus with somebody or asking somebody if you can pray for them or inviting them to church. What if, what if you know, what if it's a little awkward? I don't like awkward. Why do we so often not take the opportunities that God brings to engage with others when it comes to our faith in simple ways. I'm not talking about loud, obnoxious ways. I'm talking about the simple ways. When we just feel God tapping us on the shoulder saying, here's an opportunity. You want to speak up? Want to say something? Here's a great opportunity. You could pray for them. Here's an opportunity to invite. And you're like, nah, I don't think so, not this time. Why is it we find it so hard to step into those opportunities to be bold in those situations? I think for some, 
that, that we've just forgotten the difference that Jesus made in our lives. Maybe you've been a, a follower of Jesus so long you can't remember a time when you weren't. Or maybe you remember a time, but the, you know, and you remember what Jesus saved you from in your 20s or your 30s and, and the radical transformation, but the, the freshness of it is just sort of worn off and you've gotten complacent. Some of us have lost any sense of urgency when it comes to sharing the gospel. And maybe we've, maybe we've bought into the major cultural narrative over time. It's interesting. I've watched this kind of shift in our culture. It used to just be this idea, good people go to heaven. But I think there's this cultural idea today that just dead people go to heaven. I've been to a lot of funerals. I'm a pastor. I've done a lot of funerals. The only problem is the words of Jesus. What Jesus said. That, that there is a reality of an eternity after this eternity, either in the presence of God or apart from his presence. And I think many of us have lost any sense of urgency around that. And I think for, for, for so many, it's just that life, you're just so busy. We're just so busy. We're just so distracted by life. There's so many different things pulling us in 18,000 different directions. Now, when we share stories like this um, about the early church, part of the hard part about it is it feels so disconnected from regular life, right? This kind of boldness just feels so disconnected from our lives. And so for many of you, if you're real honest, if we said, okay, on a scale of one to 10, where are you at with boldness in your life in, in faith? in your faith, you, you, if you're real honest, you'd be like, I'm at a zero, maybe a one. Now, some of you, you're pretty bold. But for many, you would, if you're real honest, that's, that would be your answer. And so what I want to give you are just some real concrete, practical baby steps that I think if you would just put these into practice in your life, it would, if we could get you to go from zero to one or from one to three, I think it would begin to change our community. And so here, here are these things. First one is this. Start praying and taking opportunities. That you would add that bold prayer that I gave you last week to, to regular, you know, your, all your prayers for the, the good day and all that that you're hoping you're going to have and, and start praying, God, would you bring opportunities in my path and then allow me to be bold and speak up in a way that would, you know, not repel others, but in a way that would, just share what you've done in my life and the love you have for them. And then actually to take the opportunity. It just means speaking up when you feel like I can keep my mouth shut. No, I'm going to speak. When you feel that thing, that the Holy Spirit prompting you to go, hey, why don't you share about that story? And you're, and you're like, yeah, I don't know. It feels awkward. It's going, okay, I'm going to do it. That's a boldness baby step for you. That's a baby step. To pray for that. Second one is to do this. This is one of the simplest and most effective things you can do. Is as you encounter situations, you have these conversations every day in the workplace, at school, at the, on the soccer field, on the edge of the soccer field, right? Gosh, things just, man, this is what we're going through and this is so hard. And, and here's a simple thing you can do that will help you <laughs> with your boldness. You can just ask this question. Can I pray for you? 
and then pray. Then. See, this is the bold part. Because here's what we do as Christians. Okay, I'll pray for you. And then you go home, you forget. You throw one up like, you know, the next week. You're like, God, I hope that can be retroactive because I know, you know, somehow you're outside of time. So (laughs) I know you. I've done it too. But to actually go, can I pray for you? And then go, okay, let me just put a hand on your shoulder. It's nothing weird or anything. Let me just put a hand on your shoulder and pray for him. God, would you please just show up in the situation? And Lord, would you move in such a way that they just know how much you love them and, and move in the situation? You know, God answers those kinds of prayers. And I think this would be one of the most powerful baby steps you could do. Lord, would you just move in this situation? Pray right then and there on the spot. It doesn't have to be worded. And here's what I guarantee you. About 95% of the people, you'll like get an occasional, eh, I don't think so. You're weird. But 95%, that's a pretty good statistic, are going to go, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, yeah, okay. It might feel a little awkward. But that's okay. Awkward doesn't hurt you. I've checked. <laughs> I felt awkward before. It didn't hurt me. All right, third thing is this. Real simple, and then I'm going to let you go. Invite someone. Invite someone. Invite somebody to church. Maybe it's invite somebody to a home group. Maybe, maybe that's the invite. But invite somebody to engage in a deeper level. And here's the things you need to keep your ears open for. These are perfect opportunities to invite. Hey, oh, we're new around here. We're new to town. Or, yeah, we're new to, or we're in new circumstances. Things like, man, things just aren't going well. Man, I, mean, I just went through this terrible breakup, and it's so hard. Well, we think the gospel in Jesus actually has answers to those issues. We think that, that Christian community, in the presence of believers, actually helps. So invite. Things like, man, just, we're just not in church right now, you know. Man, I went to this one church, and I don't know. I don't. Well, you should try my church. We're not perfect, you know, but we really try to live the way Jesus says, man, we're just so unprepared for this, you know. <laughs> we, we thought it was going to be one, but it's twins. <laughs> you should come hang out, man. Your kids, man, you, your kids need to be in church. They need to know about Jesus, see? That's how this invite thing goes, you know. It's your and my responsibility to make sure that the message, the heart of the gospel keeps going out. This movement keeps moving towards those it's called to reach. And I know you might not be ready to stand up in front of the Sanhedrin and go, you killed him, right? But you can survive a little bit of awkward and take a baby step when it comes to bold. And if you do, I think it will make an incredible difference and where you're at with your passion and your enthusiasm for Jesus and your connection with him. So would you stand with me? I want to challenge you to do that this week. As we close here, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes because I just feel as we've clearly presented the gospel, for some in the room, this may be your moment where it's like, aha, the the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life, that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart and there's something in you right now rising going, I believe it. 
It's clicked. If that's you, just pray a prayer like this right after me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. I want to invite you to come into my life. I want to give my life to you. Forgive me. Welcome me into your family. I believe in you. And Lord, for all my other friends here, I just want to ask that you would just give them boldness in the circle of influence that they have, that you would let them feel the weight of the responsibility that each one of us carries in sharing your love and the greatest message in the world with those around us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.